0: So we're starting a new series this week, we've titled Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Emotional. And in case you're not familiar with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, this is a famous story. It's been book, it's movies, all sorts of things. So think of Dr. Jekyll as a mild-mannered, well-functioning human being and something happens and he turns into Mr. Hyde and all life runs wild and loose. And the reason we titled the series this way is we all appear to be human and normal and well-functioning people, don't we? We do. You can say that about yourself. But let's agree, we all have moments and difficulties where our emotions kind of run wild in us. That we're not sure, do we manage them? Do we hide them? Do we suppress them? What do they do? What did God have in mind? And how do I deal with this? this thing of my emotional life. Or maybe your son that says, I really have it all well worked out, but the people I live around, oh my goodness. Now I'm not here to help you with that, but maybe your perspective will change a little bit today. So I want to take you on a journey with me before we get into the scriptures today. I'm going to take you back to seventh grade. I was attending Kinoa Middle School. And the lunchroom was much like this, the cafeteria, open area, there were windows on both sides. And on this side where there was glass was the hallway. Well, I would get in line in the hallway, you'd be right next to the glass here every day. And I had this competitiveness that I found ways to get myself further into the line every day. Some people call it cutting. And I did it often. On this one particular day, the lunchroom assistant, this really strong young man caught me cutting and didn't take a shine to it. He confronted me with my inappropriate behavior and sent me to the back of the line. Now on a lot of days, I'd have done fine with that. But for some reason on this particular day, my emotions began to well up deeply. And these glass windows that I was moving alongside of also had these metal stripes through them that keep them from shattering if anybody should do something strange like I was about to. So I reached out and punched the window and honestly, it did something like this. The lunchroom went to complete silence and I was definitely the center of attention for a moment in my emotional outburst. From there, I was kindly escorted to the principal's office, not for a great confirmation of my strength. How did you do that? But perhaps to confront my outbursts and my not handling my emotions well. Well, the principal was kind to me, talked to me nicely about it, said I'd be calling my parents, at which time I was quite frightened. My emotional level went up significantly. Now I've shared a little of this before, but my father was such that he deeply valued intellect over emotion. In fact, his favorite hero was Mr. Spock because he didn't think emotions were worthwhile. My mother, on the other hand, loved emotions. That's all we talked about was how we felt. So imagine you've got these two poles. Now having said that, when it came to doing something wrong, dad set aside his intellectual interests and was more than happy to share emotion with me. So I was very worried about what would happen that night. I got home. Dad said to me, how much did this cost? How much is the window worth? The window was worth a whopping $120, which is a lot back in, this must have been the late 70s. Uh, guess how much I had in my savings account that I've saved my whole life. One hundred. And $20. And in one moment, all that I had was wiped away. And I felt it. I felt the consequence of not managing my emotions well. Now, I have to tell you, at the same time, something else happened I didn't expect. Do you know that when someone punches a window and it shatters, the school talks about it? Do you know that they look at someone who has the strength to do that with new high regard? I might have been only 5'8", but trust me, no one messed with me for at least two years after that. And what I found was despite my inappropriateness and my inability to handle my emotions, it also gave reward and worked for me. There was both consequence and reward. Now I tell you that because while I was 13 at the time, we can all agree that every one of us in the right setting has times where our emotions get the best of us. And we might even say that at times, even though we know inside it may not be the way we wished we behaved, it gives a result we want. In other words, our emotions, even in their worst, sometimes work for us, though they work in a bad way. Well, what we're doing in this series is we're trying to discover what God has done in giving us emotions. And make no mistake, you realize that we're made in God's image, that he has given us emotions, don't you? Unfortunately, we have this idea that God gave us emotions, but he intended for us to overcome them. They're kind of this lower functioning, and truly our wills and our intellect should ride herd on them and keep them in check, not deal with them well. What I want to tell you instead, though, as we work through this, is in this series, we're going to look at what's it look like to mature emotionally. Did you know that's part of what God's called us to? And make no mistake, I think it's a lost area the church hardly ever talks about. We talk about spiritual growth. You need to engage in the scriptures more. You need to read your Bible more and learn more about who Jesus is. You need to serve more and engage in who he is more. But when we get to emotional well-being, we kind of go, oh, let's not talk about that. It's kind of a forgotten part of our faith. And just in case you think I'm alone in this, I do want to encourage all of us, every one of us probably has some level of emotional difficulty or maturity that we're trying to work through in our lives. It plays out lots of ways from our childhood to our adult life, doesn't it? Do you ever feel like at some moments you're a three-year-old, at others you're 13, sometimes you're 17, sometimes you're actually an adult, sometimes you're growing older in your adulthood, but every moment that can change. Amen? I know you're that way. I've seen you. I've seen me. It's one of the things we're not willing to talk about. We keep it somewhat hidden. You You know, we know this from just watching us. In fact, it's one of the things that kind of breaks my heart. Regularly, when I run into people that are my friends that aren't Christians, they frequently talk about us, and it's not always positive. And when it's not, it's often connected to how we interact emotionally. We disagree with them, we interact hatefully. We have things that we say Jesus matters and loves everyone, but in our business dealings, we're not really willing to talk honestly in confrontation about things. We're not willing to receive feedback from people in what's difficult. Even with our own family relationships, we study and we serve and we grow, but we come back home together and they're broken. There's years of undealt with emotional pain and baggage that have been trickling again and again and again. You know, when I meet with young couples, I always ask the question, tell me about how conflict was handled in your family. It's one of those times where you really joyfully get to hear kids tell you about parents. And now that I'm that age, I'm like, kids don't tell me how it was handled. But think about just conflict for a minute in emotional health. How many homes is it where we discover if you're the loudest, you win? You win. Or if you're angry enough and shut people down enough, they'll let go. Or we just don't talk about it. There's a blow up and then there's no conversation at all. And we hope eventually it kind of comes back together. Okay. You know, every one of us have different circumstances that lead us to difficult places. I'll just use addiction as an example. And it's it's interesting to me because we probably all have some of this, but in addictive families, they say there's three rules with emotional life. One is that you don't talk. In other words, when you see things that aren't right, you just don't talk about them. You pretend they're not happening. So you learn first not to even talk. The second thing is you don't trust. You, you don't trust that what someone in an addictive home tells you will actually happen. So you learn not to trust. And the last one is when you feel things like betrayal and pain and loss and rejection, you don't ever share it because you're supposed to pretend it's not there. Now that's slicing out one kind of it, but let's face it, all of us have these kinds of things in our homes and in our lives that we both contribute to and that we experience. And so this is what I've found. There are two things that deeply affect me and then we'll get into the passage and, and start looking at this. But one of them is that I have things that when something goes on, it hits a deep trigger, I call it, so my emotional level should be to three and it goes to an eight or a nine. And what happens is it triggers something of the past that brings up emotional things I haven't learned to deal with or manage or even believe lies from. And suddenly I interact much more deeply than I mean to. Have you ever overreacted to something and realized, oh, something bigger was going on for me? Then there's another set where, have you ever seen it where one day you do fine and the next day you don't? And what it is for me is I'll I'll look back and go, that day I faced five things and I managed four of them well and I got to the fifth one, I just lost it. And I literally have had times where my family has said to me when the kids are growing up, I don't know what to expect. I'm like, well, just be ready. That doesn't go well for them either, but I just thought I'd let you know. Here's what happens in the church that I think is where we get into trouble with this. We take this beautiful truth, and it is. Paul tells us this. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. It's this beautiful idea that Christ is transforming us, and that's true. We believe the spirit resides in us and begins to change us. But we have to participate in it to actually mature. It isn't like an instantaneous thing that it changes and everything is resolved and goes well. And we understand this in other areas, don't we? But when it comes to our emotions, we either set them aside or we treat it like, you know, that's something God's fixed already. I don't have to talk about it, I wanna talk about it. And so, I know you're all pumped about it. I don't even know, maybe it's mixed for you, but I know we have to do this as a church because we have to start facing and addressing emotional maturity as part of spiritual maturity. We say in our mission, we're to be radically loving and growing together in Christ. And I believe that. That means we both receive the radical love of Jesus and we begin to extend it to others and we grow up in this thing of faith. Part of growing up is growing up emotionally. And that's where we're going in these six weeks. We wanna learn what's it mean to grow up emotionally. How do I do this? So today we're just trying to introduce the topic to us and let us be surrendering to God saying, wherever I am, help me. That's all I wanna do today. Help me be where I am and start to move in my life. So to start, I'm just gonna take you through a story of an emotional process in the Bible. I wanna take you to Joseph's story. Joseph is one of 12 kids, um, and Joseph is favored by his dad. In fact, we would say he, he's a favored kid. He gets a multicolored coat. It's so funny. I shared this in the first service and it goes out to our other campuses and I just got a text message from someone at Skegan said, oh, do you think you're the favored pastor because you have a multicolored flannel shirt on? I decided to share with you because I thought it was really funny. So I'm laughing thinking, oh, no, but it's a good idea. Now I want to stop for a minute. Joseph was favored by his dad. Do you think that's emotionally healthy or unhealthy? It's unhealthy, just I don't want to wait too long in case you say it's healthy. Those who are favored are like, yeah, it's good. It's not. And I don't know if you realize it, but these kinds of problems are evident all through scripture. We read scripture and it gives us real life. I don't want you to read it and say everything we read is supposed to be a great image. You know, Abraham favored Ishmael over Isaac and it tore their family apart. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob, and it brought all sorts of other problems. And then Jacob, who becomes Israel, favors Joseph. Now, Joseph has a great dream after he's already favored about he is going to save all of his brothers. It's this dream where all the brothers bow to him, and his dad does too. And Joseph, in his incredible emotional maturity, shares it with them proudly. So imagine you're listening to this. You're one of 11 other brothers. You already don't feel favored. Hey, hey guys, I just thought I'd tell you. God gave me this prophetic dream that you will all bow at my feet. Oh, Dad, you will too. Do you think that was an emotionally mature way to share it? It wasn't. And it spoke of his emotional immaturity. Now, the boys don't respond so well either. In their emotional mess and upheaval, when Joseph comes out to see them, they decide they're gonna kill him. Just in case you don't know, Killing when you're upset, not a good emotional response, ever. Now, one of the boys kind of tones it back and says, let's just sell him into slavery. That's, yeah, I like that they laugh, yeah, like, oh, that's such a nice mercy. (laughs) We spared his life, good luck. So what happens next is he ends up, after this happiness and all he is, he ends up being sold into slavery, Now, when he's sold into slavery, remember, he's emotionally immature. He's been very self-absorbed. Something begins to change in him. What happens is God's moving. It tells us God's close to him. He's elevated in the home. And then the wife of the leader of the home comes after him to try to basically have an affair with him. He does what's right. He runs away, displaying his growth, maturity, growth in his life. And then what happens is she lies, says he tried to take her, and he ends up in prison now. Now that's a mess, isn't it? But I want you to see he's growing, and I want you to understand what he's growing through is difficulty, by the way. James tells us this later, rejoice in your trials. These wonderful things that are hard on you actually mature you. They grow you up. The next situation, he ends up in prison. That's the next place he goes. Now, when he's in jail, he's elevated again. They give him more to do because God's hands on life. Because in the midst of all of this, his maturity is growing and he's going, God, I give you myself, whatever happens, all the things I wanted, I just want to be yours. Now, he ends up being this voice that they have a, a dream that happens, several dreams, and he interprets them. They come true. The guy he helps who ends up back at the palace forgets him and he's just left there. Now that's another window, by the way, into a place that could leave you just beaten down and bent, which by the way, we'll get into this later in the series, but part of emotional maturity is learning to grieve different things that happen to you. And Joseph is one story after enough of losing things and grieving them again and again. And just a side note, because I I will come back to it in a a couple of weeks, but in our culture, we do not appreciate grief. In fact, what you're supposed to be is okay. You're supposed to be the good side. You're not supposed to actually grieve. And we'll look at the fact that truly emotionally mature people learn how to grow in the midst of grief. Joseph is a test case of grief. He lived through a lot of loss. What happens in in jail is he's forgotten. And then a few years later, the Pharaoh has a set of dreams that he doesn't know what to do with. And one of the guys who's returned says, hey, I remember this guy in jail who helped me. So he ends up being with Pharaoh. Now here he's elevated. He interprets this series of dreams with Pharaoh in a beautiful way. He figures out that God tells him, by the way, he actually prays, I don't know what to think of this. God show me. God shows him that it means Egypt will have seven good years and seven bad years. He gives a whole strategy to how they're to sort and hold up things. So when the seven bad years come, they have all this grain. That then ensues, and oddly enough, his family comes from Israel to see him, to not even, they think he's dead, don't forget, they don't know what's happened, but they come just to get help, and he is right there face to face with them. They don't even know it's him. Now let me stop for a minute. If you're not doing well emotionally, or even if you are, would you be tempted at all just to make this a great moment for you of retribution and kind of enjoying the moment? I would. Oh, 11 brothers told me it wouldn't happen and here they sit. I think I'd play that for all it's worth. That is not what Joseph does. He weeps, he aches, he wants to see his dad again. And then even after his dad passes, the rest of the brothers are freaked out thinking there's no way Joseph is gonna love us in this, he'll kill us. They kind of exaggerate, hey, dad said whatever you do, make sure you take care of us, putting their best foot forward. And Joseph just weeps and says, what you did intending to harm, God meant for good. He has matured through all of this dramatically. Are you getting a picture for maturing this way? I want you to understand this is very tied to his emotions and his life. It's not extracted from it. It's part of what goes on with him. And make no mistake, we'll get into it more in the weeks ahead as we look at God's emotions and the emotions of people in scripture. Jesus himself What we see is how people engage with their emotions deeply impacts how they live out their lives. And make no mistake, it's everywhere in scripture. The first murder happens because Cain doesn't feel worthy enough. He is jealous and aching. It says he, anger rose up and he kills his brother. David, who has everything you can imagine, the emotion of lust wells up in him as he sees a beautiful woman on another top of a building and he goes for it. And it brings death several times and destruction. This goes on and on through scripture. I mean, it goes over and over again. Even Peter, Peter, who we love to talk about with all that God does through him, you know what an emotional mess that guy is? I mean, he'd be a therapist's dream. That guy is back and forth every moment of every day. When Jesus says he's gonna die, Peter freaks out and thinks he has to fix it because he doesn't know how to deal with his emotional life and maturity. And Jesus actually calls him, Satan, not a good picture of how you handled your emotions that day. It's back and forth for him. Paul, who who has the spirit in him and leads in lots of great ways, gets so frustrated with the people around him, they have to part ways and separate in reaching people with the gospel because he can't manage relationships in his own difficulty of emotions. And make no mistake, while Paul lives in the presence and the power of God, he says things like, I do what I don't wanna do and I don't do what I want to do. And he understands maturity is a process. And we see the honest struggle of it, which we're to engage in too. I want us just to begin to say, you know what? I think we've neglected in the church engaging in this area of our lives. And it comes at all sorts of places for us. We all carry our own story and our own picture and our own past. And I want you to understand, this is very true through scripture. Abraham, for example, Abraham lies several times in several important moments because he's fearful of what will happen. Guess what his sons carry on that legacy, committing very similar issues and problems. We have broken marriages in these early things and favoritism given and all sorts of other problems. And it goes from one generation to the next, to the next Scripture describes it this way, that the sins of the fathers and mothers are passed down for several generations. I don't want you to understand that as God goes, well, you did it wrong, so I'm gonna make them do it. It's a consequence of how they live. You do realize that when you live through certain sin patterns, it goes from place to place to place. And we have to honestly look at God, what is true in my journey, in my life, as I look back, that's affecting how I live now. And how do I move ahead and grow in new ways? We wanna be like Joseph and mature through the mess that we live in. Think about how it impacts our daily lives. And I think of so many things that we have going on in our lives from conflict. If you haven't matured emotionally and you're at work and you have a difficult circumstance with a peer, how do you think you handle conflict? Maybe you think I'm supposed to be a Christian so you pretend it's okay, have you ever done this? oh, I got really hurt, I'm not gonna say anything, but you go back and you carry it and you stuff it. Maybe you vomit it out to a few other people. You gossip about it. Maybe you just keep eating it and carrying it and wearing it, thinking you're being like Jesus, but you're not. Jesus calls us to live honestly and in truth with each other. Maybe you're in a place right now where relationships have had years and years of that drip just gotten worse and worse and worse worse but have you actually grown emotionally in the midst of it and learned to grow up in the midst of the things that are difficult and hard see god's calling us to mature and grow in the ways of jesus and i think we're neglecting this facet of our lives and how many of us have had grief and loss i mentioned it earlier but this is an area we'll spend a week on because i have spent much of my life watching people go through loss you realize that life is full of loss don't you I mean, it's everything from losing a job to having a loss of a death to losing a relationship to losing an opportunity for the future to losing health to just having change where you've had good friendships and they move away. Life is one loss after another after another. It's often said that Job's story is a story of loss over all of life in one day. And what we do in the church is we kind of make it sound like it's supposed to be good. Well, God's good. God's got it. God meant this to happen. And it doesn't mean God isn't even good. But if you don't deal with the emotions of that, guess what you do? You carry it for the next one that comes. And I'm just telling you, we all have stuff like this. I am convinced that one of the reasons the church doesn't look different than the rest of the world is we forgot that we're supposed to mature in emotions too. And somehow it's leaving us much less mature than we should be and could be. And God's calling us to something greater right now, to something more. We say we wanna be radically loving and growing together in Christ, and God says, I'm gonna help you with this. Now, I wanna to speak to one thing that often happens with emotions. When we hear about things like there's pain or I'm having trouble with my emotions, we treat them as kind of a secondary piece, like we're supposed to push that down, emotions are bad. We need to manage them, repress them, deal with them so that we can think without emotion. And I want you to understand, we almost treat emotion like there are negative ones. Like anger, for example, is an emotion you can't have. There's three that we typically talk about. Sadness, anger, and any kind of negative one, we treat it like as a church, you're not supposed to have it. I want you to see what Paul says to the church specifically about anger. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Does he say, don't be angry? No. He's telling you that anger, the emotion, can lead you to a sinful behavior. It can lead you to something you do that's destructive. But the anger itself is not wrong. And I think for us, especially in the church, we either pretend we don't have it or we think we're not supposed to. Do you know that Jesus, when he gets angry, he actually takes a table and flips the puppy over and destroys it. Now, if you were to write down all the things you should be able to do when you're angry, is that one of them you'd have written down? I would not have written, take the table and throw it over. Now, I'm not giving license when you get home to go, you know, I'm kind of mad. I think I'll flip the table at the house. That's what Jesus did. There's a very particular reason he did that because they were using the table to make it difficult for the poor, the forgotten, and the far from God to get near him, and they were robbing them. And his righteous anger said, no more. And he flipped it. But what I want you to get a picture of is clearly God says we should and can have and deal with emotions honestly and maturely. You realize that where we get our emotions from is God himself, don't you? We'll look at this next week, the emotions of God. God has the full gamut of emotions. And we're going to look at some really fun things with that next week. But he's made us to be this. What he's saying is, don't let it run you. Learn how to mature and grow in this. You see, we say growing together in Christ and I think there's a gap that we've not addressed what it means to emotionally grow up. And sometimes we're really well understood biblically literate people, sometimes people that love to serve but not people that have matured emotionally along the way. And guess what? You can read your Bible your whole life and still not grow up. You can serve everyone in the world and still not grow up. And I'm not saying the spirit won't meet you in it, I think he does, but we have to focus that God wants to move in our lives even as we read scripture, even as we serve, even as we do other things. Jesus, when asked what the most important commandment is, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is love it, like it love your neighbor as yourself. Now does he say the greatest commandment is to think properly about your neighbor? Does he say the greatest commandment is to just love God with your mind? No. Does he say it's just your strength? No. He says your heart and your soul. Guess what's in there? Your emotions. When he says to love your neighbors yourself, he means that emotionally as well as the other ways. You see, God made us to be emotional people. And if God said, I want you to grow up in faith, guess what? He wants you to grow up emotionally. He wants all of us to. And it's become increasingly significant to me to realize, I think we as a church and the church have missed out on understanding this. I love what Peter says. I don't want us to miss this. As he writes to the church, he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now make no mistake, when it says knowledge, it doesn't mean head knowledge, it means experience and understanding. In other words, we need to know God, and it helps us know ourselves. The more we know God, the more we love him. And by the way, God's given you what you need to grow emotionally and mature emotionally. I'm just curious, and I will ask for a show of hands for a minute, have you ever behaved in a way where you felt like you were about three or four emotionally and you didn't even kept, you realize it was coming? Yeah, anybody felt 12? 17? And then adulthood. We hope we have some of those moments too. What if God said to us, growing together in Christ should also be maturing emotionally in Christ? And that's what I think he's saying today. It's really a simple thought I'm asking you to begin with as we start the series. Growing up emotionally is part of growing up in Christ. And you'll see what I say in this. I think it's a neglected part of it. I think we dismiss our emotions and even our own immaturities and pretend like it's not there. And I simply want to do something with us today to get us started. I'm not trying to have you go home and fix it today. What I want to do is surrender to Jesus where we are. You know, I have a friend who used to say to me all the time, we take who we are, our good, the bad, and the ugly, and we just lay it at the feet of the cross. And we say, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to do, I'm here. Would you just use me and help me and grow me? And what I'm going to ask you to do today, we're going to spend a little time reflecting, and we always celebrate communion. We're going to kind of start the thought of communion right now. Under the umbrella of this, what we're going to do, and this is why I mean it. When we celebrate communion, what we do is we recognize that Jesus came in the flesh to die for us. Did he die for us as emotionally and spiritually mature people? No. No. He dies for us in the darkest, most immature and struggling and broken place. He says, I love you in that place. And what I want us to do when I'm going to give you this guided reflection through your emotional life a little bit is just say, God, I know you love me right here in all of my brokenness in my three-year-old behavior and my 10-year-old behavior and my 17-year-old behavior and my fully functioning adulthood that you love me in all of it. See, because God wants to meet you in that whether you mature well or not. God loves you. This is not God is displeased with you until. This is God has something more for you in the midst of. And so I want you to kind of consider, because we'll celebrate communion out of it. God is over you, forgiving you and loving you. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is just close your eyes and I'm gonna read, this is from Pete Scazzaro's work on emotionally healthy discipleship which I really love. And we're actually doing some things as a leadership with all of this right now. I'll explain more in the weeks ahead. But I'm gonna walk through characters of each age, characteristics of each age. And I just want you to ask God, show me where I'm acting like this or living like this. Begin to show me those parts that are immature in my life. And God, just meet me in them. So with your eyes closed, I'm gonna read through these different characteristics and make no mistake, I don't think you'll probably land in just one. I think there'll be places you come in and out of, that's how at least it is for me. And in case you're worried, I think I cover all four of the areas. So don't worry, your pastor is an infant, a child, a teenager, and an adult, all in one. But I'm just asking you, will you trust God to meet you and love you as you say, what is true of me in this? You close your eyes and just hear these. I want you to consider where you might be an emotional infant or areas you could be or relationships you could. Is it possible in this place you look to others to care for you, to take care of you? Do you have great difficulty entering into the world of others? Do you need instant gratification? Do you use others as objects to meet your needs? Then move to the next area, emotional children. Are you content and happy as long as you receive what you want? Do you unravel quickly from stress and disappointment and trials? Do you interpret disagreements as personal offenses? Are you easily hurt? Do you complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic when they don't get your way, when you don't? Do you have great difficulty calmly discussing your needs and wants? in a mature, loving way? Let me move you to emotional adolescence. Do you tend to be defensive often? Are you threatened and alarmed by criticism? Do you keep score of what you give so that you can ask for something later in return? Do you deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, appeasing, going to a third party, pouting or ignoring the issue entirely? Are you becoming preoccupied with yourself, what you're going through, what you're dealing with? Do you have great difficulty truly listening to another person's pain, disappointments, or needs, or perspective? Are you critical and judgmental? And let's move to the area we want to live in, emotional adulthood. Are you able to ask for what you need, want, or prefer, clearly, directly, and honestly? Can you recognize, manage, and take responsibility for your own thoughts and feelings? Can you, when under stress, state your own beliefs, values, without becoming an adversary? Can you respect others without having to change them? Can you give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect? Can you appreciate people for who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not for what they give back? Can you accurately assess your own limits, your strengths, your weaknesses, and be able to freely discuss them with others? Are you deeply in tune with your own emotional world and able to enter into the feelings and needs and concerns of others without losing yourself in them? And do you finally have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspectives of others? Lord, I am asking as we look at these together that we would look at our own souls. God, protect us from looking at anyone around us, even those closest related to us, and instead pursue our own maturity. Change us instead of having us point out how others should change. And as we enter this journey together, we do it in a surrendered posture. We lay our emotional history, our emotional lives, all that we are and say, God, we don't know how to change and we need you to change us. So Lord, would you, even as we receive communion in a minute, pour out your presence on us to change us and grow us in your likeness, in your name. Amen.